Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders Podcast, a place for Christian entrepreneurs and leaders to be encouraged and inspired to grow in your personal and organizational leadership. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast with another wonderful person. And today I have Nikki Sims. Who, um, who, when I read the bio, you'll be tired and need to sit down afterwards. Uh, Nikki is a senior leader of Skylark, Skylark Church in Chelmsford, a vibrant congregation committed to taking God's love and hope into every area of society. And they've got a very cool website. A visionary leader, Nikki is passionate about the role of the local church as a change agent in the world. Love that. Along with her husband, Pete, she also leads Skylark International which is a network of churches, charities, and ministries. They have two young daughters, Aria and Seren, cool names, who keep them on their toes. So welcome, Nikki. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you on here. So Nikki, for, after that bio, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your sort of life looks like, your leadership life and everything. Well, as you can probably gather from that bio, my life is fairly crazy. And I think it's fair to say that no two days are the same. Uh, So I'm the leader of a local church here in Chelmsford. I've actually been part of the church family for just over 20 years. Um, We've been on a leadership journey throughout that duration but we stepped into senior leadership of the church eight years ago and then um, fast forward a little bit of time three years ago we took on oversight of our network of churches which we've now broadened out to include charities and kingdom initiatives so it's a really exciting phase but alongside juggling a six-year-old and a three-year-old and just general life it is pretty chaotic at times fast-flowing but loads of fun oh that's brilliant and um see your leadership life is quite full and quite diverse but tell us a little bit about your journey sort of you know growing from one faith step to the next you know what have been some of those major milestones along the way you said you've been in the church 20 years that's a long time you know yeah I'm sure you could there's a whole podcast worth of stories just with that but tell us about the major steps along the way yeah I think if I was going to sum up my journey in one word it would be faith um it's been one series of small faith steps after another and it probably began actually when I was a teenager because I didn't grow up in church which I think is, you know, relatively unusual for someone leading in a church context. So I didn't have that as a frame of reference. We occasionally went to church, Easter, Christmas, but church was not a part of my life. God was not really part of my life. And then our family went through some major turmoil, which resulted in my parents separating and divorcing. My dad was absent for quite a long period of time. That had a massive impact on me growing up. And against that backdrop, I met a friend at school. He was a Christian. And long story short, I ended up going to church and going to the youth group and eventually taking this enormous step of giving my life to Jesus. And that was a total game changer for me because I think that as a young girl, I always saw myself 
stepping forward I think I had those leadership qualities even at a young age and I have been raised by my parents to believe that nothing was off limits which I'm so grateful for but I would never ever have aspired to be leading in a church context so when eventually we moved to Chelmsford when we first got married Pete my husband and I we um, came along to what was then Christian Growth Centre in Chelmsford and we just got stuck in serving um, and eventually we were both school teachers at the time. We really felt we should give up one day a week to sow into the life of the church, into the worship team specifically. And that was a fifth of our income. It was at a time where we were fairly aspirational with our life goals. So it felt like quite a big sacrifice at that point. Um, but honestly, it was the best decision we could ever have made. And so we just did whatever needed to be done. We just sewed into the life of the church, got stuck in. And from there, there were bigger faith steps because eventually God asked us to step out of our employment altogether and take an enormous faith step. But I think that having said yes in the smaller things really prepared us for that moment where we actually stepped out without the safety net. And I remember trying to explain this to my parents. I've got a good degree. I had a great career. Um, they thought I was absolutely insane, but we wanted to set up a schools work charity and we really felt it was the right thing to do. And so the moment came where we handed in our resignation and um, fast forward some time after that the moment came where God asked us to put that down and to sow into the life of the church full-time but there wasn't a salary available and wow. that was a massive massive move I think I think maybe there was a day and a half but we felt him ask us just to give whatever we could into helping the church get established and so we did we were worship pastors, we were also itinerant at that time, but we were living by faith for our finances. And it was terrifying and exhilarating and exhausting and rewarding, all mixed into one. But I suppose the whole journey for me into church leadership, and I would never have seen this coming, that I would be senior leader of a church. It's not something I aspired to, honestly. Um, but we fell in love with the local church. That's what happened. We just fell in love with the people. We began to believe that local church was God's plan A for the planet. Um, that actually, when we work in harmony together, there's nothing as breathtaking as that. And so we just threw ourselves all in. And eventually the moment came where we stepped into senior leadership. There were lots of highs and lows along the way, which I don't really have time to go into, but the journey was just one small step of obedience after another wow what a journey thank you for sharing that it's so encouraging just to hear your heart for the local church and just that journey of leadership and where it's led you now you mentioned your husband a couple of times now you it seems like you've led together for a, for a long time a number of years how does that dynamic look with yourself and your husband leading and co-leading together two young daughters how does that dynamic work yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, some days better than others. That's the truthful answer. But uh, we, when we first began to lead together, we didn't have children. So that was one kind of dynamic that wasn't there. And I remember us going from both teaching in different schools to that moment where we stepped out to set up the charity, which meant that we were working together day in, day out. We became colleagues as well as husband and wife. And that was a really big change. Um, and one of the things I think we 
we've really had to do over the years is just learn how to play to our strengths. So we can't both be good at everything. We don't come in with one opinion. And now I think we're so seasoned at co-leading together. People often say Pete and Nikki as one phrase as though we always think the same. But the truth is that most decisions are reached through healthy discussion, through prayer, um, through talking stuff over, inviting other people into the conversation as well. Um, and that's something we've had to learn, that give and take over time. And then throwing parenting into the mix has been, it's been another massive thing. And I, I'm really grateful that I married Pete because actually he, he doesn't just talk about supporting women leaders. He has championed me from the start. And I remember Amazing. really vividly when we first stepped into senior leadership of the church, uh, we were about to take our first, I think at that point, it was called a minister's fraternal, which is obviously a fairly male sounding forum. And um, I said to him, well, obviously we were hosting it in our church. Well, obviously, Pete, you'll have to, you'll have to do the hosting. And he said, there's no obviously about it. We are leading 50-50 here. There isn't one of us at the buck stops with. And it's really important that you do this because everyone's going to expect it to be me. And I remember him saying that. And all the way along, he has challenged me to become the leader that I am called to become just as I challenge and champion him to do the same. So I'm really grateful for that. We're not, it's not that we talk about co-leading but really he makes all the decisions um in you know behind closed doors or that i make all the decisions behind closed doors we're a partnership and that extends to our to our household we co-parent the girls um he's he's actually taken my eldest daughter to ballet right <laughs> now so he's doing that shift whilst i'm talking to you um and and that's how we operate together we just you know meld in and out and we push each other forward and we play each other to our strengths that's brilliant that's so encouraging to hear it again and and i think a lot of the listeners listen to this will really be encouraged by that because there's a lot of um, talk around co-leadership, but often not great modelling. You know, often there's you know the, the practice is different to the principle. Um, how do you how do you find? I keep talking about your personal life now. I've lived with my wife for many years as well, so I'm kind of interested personally. How do you find that balance between husband, wife, parent, and, and ministry? Do you do you have specific times you try and switch off? Do you try and have you got any practical things that you do, or particularly with the kids? You know, because they demand. You know, I've got a twelve year old and a ten year old, and they're just just demand attention, right? They just want your time, they need you to be with them. Yeah, well, I mean, we've made lots of mistakes and still do. I think that's important to say. We don't have this all neatly packaged, but we've learned a lot. And I think when it comes to the, the kids, one of the things that I'm so conscious of is I don't ever want them to feel like they come second to church or to ministry. And that's difficult, isn't it? Because every time they walk into church, their parents are removed doing X, Y or Z. And I remember talking to a really amazing guy. You may have heard of him, Rob Parsons. He, mm. um, he was the founder of Care for the Family. And I was in a prayer meeting and he was standing next to me. And I said, OK, Rob, I was holding Aria in my arms at that point. She was a baby. I said, I need your wisdom. How am I going to do this? I really, really don't want my kids to be in a ministry queue years down the line because I was that pastor. But I don't know how to avoid it because this is so demanding and parenting is so demanding. So what do I do? And I remember him saying, 
when your kids are in church, let them be kids. Let them run around. Don't make them try to perform or conform to what they should look like. Let them be themselves. And if you are in a conversation with somebody and they have asked for your attention more than once, talk to the person in front of you and say, my daughter needs me now. Just one moment, excuse me. Then turn, face them and give them your attention. And I, that advice has really stayed with me. Admittedly, there have been moments where I've struggled to do that second one particularly, but really, really trying to, um, yeah, to, to help them feel a part of what we're doing as well. I think that's the other thing. We, we don't just see it as Pete and I are in leadership. We actually feel like that ministry call is over our family. So that's not putting yeah. it on our daughters, but it's helping them feel a part of that. So we explain why we're doing the things that we do. We explain sometimes why we're going to this place or we're doing that thing. And we help them get involved with that. And at this age, that works. We might need to reevaluate that model as they get older, have more questions to ask. They're quite pliable at this age, but I know that the teenage years will be another story. Um, and the other thing we really try to do is to make our family time count. So there are days where it is over to them. They get to choose the agenda. They get access to us the phone is set aside and we have that quality time as a family that to us is so important brilliant i've got um when you said about letting your kids be kids uh, as you were sharing that i've got this like terrible memory of um i was in a church with another senior pastor and we were ministering and my some of my other family were there and one of my children here i saw him Buzz behind, or in front of me, but behind the, the other senior pastor, pushing a tea trolley with my with my cousin's children on it through the church hall. As and, I, and I'm talking to the senior pastor, and he's talking to me, and we're talking about these big whatever we're talking about and my kid is running through the church hall with it's pushing a tea trolley and and my, and the senior pastor turned around and he just started laughing but i'm horrified i'm thinking oh my goodness it's just quite a large church it's quite a well-to-do church and he just started laughing it was so liberating for me just to think yeah my kids can be kids they're good they're good boys but they're boys you ask them to sit down for half an hour and they're going to get up and they're going to run around and that is the way it is you know, I can so identify with that because we have a standing joke now in our church because Aria, my eldest, right from the word go, when she, as soon as she could walk, every big service we did. So say so we had a really big Christmas service planned or a Vision Sunday, you know, one of those more important ones in the life of the church she would always gate crash the stage and it didn't matter how many of my friends and family I put in place as a buffer to keep her off the off the stage she would always find a way to get up there last year during the pandemic we did um Christmas in a car park because obviously with COVID restrictions and stuff right. and so I thought to myself well this is the one year that can't happen because she was safely in the car but guess what I left my microphone on the front seat for one second and all of a sudden over these loudspeakers across the park and ride in Chelmsford, my daughter shouts, this is the best church service ever. And everyone was creasing up. So I know what you're saying, but I'm so glad for that because she obviously feels comfortable enough that she can do that. And I think that's, that's got to be a healthy sign, right? There we go. And she's not as afraid of the microphone. Maybe definitely not, no. There not we go. There's your future leader already. Yeah, that's true. 
They're brilliant. Well, we're switch, switching sort of gears now and, and moving more onto the kind of, um, yeah, the ministry side and the growth and your leadership there. Yeah. I think I was reading that you, you've you only leading sort of Skylark for a few years before transition. How was that transition for you and how's that grown and developed? Well, that was a crazy transition because it happened really quickly. And when we stepped into leading the church, we took, I think the transition process was at least a year and we took a really long time to pray and to really know it was God. And so this was really counterintuitive. It was a short time into leading the church on paper. We just had had a, a baby, we had another one on the way. It felt like totally the wrong timing. But you know, sometimes God gives you those suddenly moments and inside we both knew that it was the right thing. And so we weighed it up with some friends that we really trust that we know would tell us the truth and we said look we know this looks crazy what do you say what do you think we actually expected both sets of people that we asked counsel from to say no we we don't think this is right timing we don't think this is right and one of them just laughed and said I've seen this coming for ages this is definitely right and the other one had also also felt the same and so yeah it was really crazy and and unexpected but also um I guess it felt like stepping into family just extended family because we've been part of the network for a long time I suppose one of the big challenges has been coming from within and we've done that both in the church and in the network so to make your mark as a leader there's real benefits to coming from within because people know you and you love the people that you're leading But the other side of that is actually to delineate, right, I'm now actually stepping into leadership and we're going somewhere and we're going to change things. Sometimes that can be harder to do when you know the history. Um, But actually, the network and the church have, have both been equally gracious in allowing us to really, you know, step into that leadership role fully. Brilliant. And is that a role that both yourself and Pete have stepped into together? Is that something, again, has that been co leading all the way through? Yeah, that has been actually, um, which again, you know, it brings its challenges, but it also brings its joys. And I think I've just discovered even more recently how unique that that really is. Um, As you say, there are so many people who talk about co-leadership, about modelling this healthy sharing of power, sharing of responsibility, sharing of decision making between men and women. But you very rarely see that modelled in an equitable way. So we feel like it's quite groundbreaking in some ways, and especially with a young family thrown into the mix. Brilliant. And you're throwing it all in there, aren't you? You might as well get it all in the same pot and just get it Holding nothing back. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, so this, I mean, this sort of season of the podcast is, is look, looking at women in leadership and looking, you know, and your story is so amazing and, and, and you know, genuinely refreshing. Taking a step back from your story, looking at sort of, you know, the leaders you work with and just the wider church and just the wider world in general. What are some of those leadership, you know, two sides of the coin, opportunities and challenges that you see for women in leadership in today's culture? I mean, I think one of the things that I'm really encouraged by is that women are gaining access to so many different spheres of 
um, of influence and leadership now. And I think about my daughters and growing up and, and there's so many good role models that they're able to see, which perhaps didn't exist, you know, in years gone by to the same degree. So that's encouraging. I think there are great opportunities for women leaders ahead. I think there's lots of hope on the horizon, but I can't deny that there are still huge challenges for women leaders. I think just about simple things like the way in which Theresa May was depicted by the media versus how Boris Johnson has been depicted by the media. And, you know, she would be giving an incredible keynote speech. Think what you will of her politics. I'm not advocating for her at all. But the media would zero in on her handbag and her outfits, um, which is something that by and large male leaders just don't have to contend with. And that's just one tiny thing. There are still so many barriers, so many restrictions. And it saddens me to think I was just part of a, um, a global consultation. There were 35 different nations represented, women leaders um, from all of those different nations attending and given a voice. And one of the things that I was consistently hearing, both here in the UK, but actually more pertinently in other nations too, I was hearing this story of women who are shouldering so much incredible work, just quietly getting on with the job of leading, but who will never be given the title, who will never be attributed that word leader, um, and will never fully be recognised for what they're doing, um, and are pushing against people who will not encourage them, who will not relinquish power power or title or status and that really saddens me especially in the church because I feel as though we should be modeling that servant leadership that beautiful collaboration strong men strong women being able to work side by side in harmony better than anywhere else so I think there are great opportunities ahead for women but I also think we've still got a lot of work to do and and to ask you how that looks for you yeah. in terms of your co-leadership is that just are you guys you you and your husband and the leaders are you just trying to model that to people at the moment how are you because you are you know a living example of what of the opportunities that we're talking about how, how do you guys do do you just try and model it do you have any specific things you try and do yeah, I mean, I think the most powerful thing we can do is model it because I think when people see it in action especially the more proximity they have to us it's easy for the concept to be palatable from a distance but the closer you get um, to us the more you realize that we really do work in tandem and in partnership with each other um, and I think that that is really powerful but with, there are other things that we try to do aside from that we deliberately look at how we encourage women leaders through um, and we have a lot of strong leaders within our church context and within our church network context in fact we've had single women leading churches um, we have lots of men and women co-leading churches um, so that's really great and, and that's actually not just down to us we inherited an incredible incredible platform from um the founders of our network who also modeled it so they helped us to know that this is possible and I feel like we stand on their shoulders 
um, but we also teach into it. Um, I'm on the board of Kyria, an amazing organization which um, empowers and encourages and equips women leaders and connects them in relationship, helps them to network. Um, and I think that things like that are so important. It's not to the detriment of men. It should never be to the detriment of men. But the reality is that women do face a unique set of challenges in their leadership. And so it's important to provide those forums, not only to talk about that, but to actually help women leaders to, um, to be empowered to become all that they can become. Brilliant. Now, and we, um, we love career networks here at Wonderful Leaders and yeah. Amy and Amy's doing a great job. And it's, yes, great. Yeah, it's so good you're on the board as well. Just drilling down a little bit then into, into your sort of your personal leadership, Nikki, and sort of keeping your keeping yourself on that journey. Because, you know, I've been in leadership in different spheres for many years and you go through seasons, you go through the tough seasons, you go through the mountaintop seasons, the valley seasons. But the, the more you journey in leadership, the more you there's certain anchor points and keys you have in your own life that keep you on that on that straight path. But everything around you sort of seems to be going wrong or not going the way you want it, at least. There's something that anchors you. And so what would be some of those leadership keys that God's given you in your life? What are some of those things that anchor you? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think character matters. That's the thing that I come back to time and time again. 100%. Um, keeping my heart right. I think the truth is that in leadership, um, there are times where it's really costly. Uh, it's not all glamorous. Uh, really, the bits that people see up front are just the tip of the iceberg. They're 2% of what leadership actually looks like. So for me, you know, there are lots of setbacks. There are there are things that are difficult, that difficult decision making processes. It's hard leading people at times. Um, all sorts of things that cause leadership to be really highly charged and the thing that I've learned is that my heart is so important. Remembering why I'm doing this. I'm doing it for an audience of one and I'm not doing it for a title. I'm not doing it for accolades. I'm not doing it for a stage or for lights and cameras and action. I'm doing it for the one and I'm doing it for the Lord. So that's really important to me. But I also think don't stop loving people is the other thing. Um, because sometimes I think in leadership, you can be exposed to some of the, the less pretty aspects of human nature. That's just how it is. And you'll understand that, I'm sure. And the danger is that you become hard hearted and you then lead from a much more positional place. And I never want to be that. I think that this generation need and deserve leaders who are authentic, leaders who are willing to be vulnerable, to hold their hands up when they make a mistake, but who are also the best at forgiving. And I just want to challenge myself to be the best I can be at forgiving people, at modeling that grace that's been extended to me uh, by Jesus. And that's really hard to do sometimes uh, because you can be misunderstood, you can be misrepresented. It's not always easy. Um, but I think keeping your heart soft and open and right before God and before others is a massive, massive key. So that for me, will always be the thing that I come back to and that recenters me in my leadership. Brilliant. I love that. That's, that's some great insight and um, extremely hard. What you said there yeah. is extremely tough, particularly when you're burnt or you're hurt or people you've invested in and trusted in have done whatever they've done. And you think, why? Why did that happen? And yeah, no, it's, it's spiritual leadership and leadership of people is incredibly tough. 
And just a kind of a question to sort of run alongside that, maybe more of a practical question, but do you feel like your leadership style or, the, or your leadership skill or your leadership sort of way of doing things has had to change over time or evolve over time? Yeah, definitely. I am not the same leader um, as I was back then. I have grown and changed so much. And I've done a lot of my leadership journey in the same context so people have had to watch me make those mistakes and then receive me as a leader and I'm still making mistakes now um but I always say to my daughter mistakes make the learning great and the thing for me is I'm glad I'm not the same leader that I was at the beginning because I feel that leadership it's a lifelong journey of learning we should be learning and growing we I I think that in the beginning when you're young particularly you go into leadership thinking you have all the answers you know what's needed it looks easy when you're watching someone else lead probably because they've been doing it for years and they make it look easy and so you think oh yeah I can do this and the truth is that the older you get and the further in you get to leadership, the more you realise that people and situations, they're nuanced and they're complex and they're not as black and white as you might have thought at the beginning. Right. And so I think I've become softer around the edges. I think that I've become less certain. And I'm glad about that because actually I think that when we're leaders who feel the need to give people all the answers um we actually lose credibility we have to encourage people to think for themselves and that means that we need to be thinking and we should be evolving in our theology and in our doctrine we should be uh, learning new skills we should be growing but i've also learned to um to understand what i'm not and to be comfortable with that to staff my weaknesses and um you know that to, to realise that I can't be all things to all people. And I think the danger, particularly in the church setting, I think this is true. There's this expectation that you should be a fantastic public speaker, amazing at mentoring the one, like those individuals. You need to have a good handle on budgeting and finances. You need to be incredible at pastoring and shepherding and visiting people in hospital. And the list goes on. I mean, I could give you a very comprehensive list of all of those demands. And that's impossible. You can't, nobody can cover all of that ground and excel at everything. So we have really worked hard on raising a fantastic team around us, both in the church and we're working on it now in the network um, so that we can ensure that other people get that opportunity to shine and I hope that what I've learned over this time is that actually I want those people to go further and to climb higher than I ever will that is the nature of leadership that I lay my life down so that others can stand on my back and get where I couldn't get um, and that excites me that's brilliant and I can, there's just, there was just years of wisdom coming right through that. I can, I, you know, I can empathise lots of those things. One of the, I think two comments, one of the things I see in leaders that are mature, you know, mature is the wrong word, who are, who have journeyed this leadership for many years, you either become soft around the edges or hard around the edges. And I think a lot of that comes down to what you've been saying there. And the other side of, um, what, something else I wanted to highlight in what you said was that sense of, not being prescriptive. I think particularly the next generation that looking for us to be prescriptive and looking for us to be authentic, to be who we are, to be collaborative, to work with them because they don't think they don't operate. Their paradigm is so different to ours 
that we, if we try and prescribe our methodology or our way of doing things, it's too far removed from them. The generation shift is too big. And I find that leaders that struggle to understand that are struggling in this new normal, you know, particularly post-COVID, you know, how do we use online? How do we engage with people afresh? What happens when the program shut down? What do I do? And so some of the things you were saying there, but absolutely as real gold, really, really good. So just a couple more questions, Nikki. Um, what leaders do you look up to or have you learned from? You know, what, who's, who's put into you along the way? And that could be people you know or people you've read about. Yeah. I mean, I remember answering that question in my first ever job interview. And the answer I gave then, I would still give as one of my leadership heroes now. And that is Nelson Mandela. Um, I just think yeah. what adversity that man faced, you know, persecution, um, oppression, discrimination, prejudice, um, captivity, and yet what grace and humility he showed and how he fought for freedom and won freedom for others. So he's a big role model of mine. Um, but actually, I suppose as I've gone on in this leadership journey, I, I find that the people that I'm likely to talk about are not your prominent leaders that you would, you know, I've read lots of great leadership books and I have had some fantastic people inputting my life. Um, but actually, the people that inspire me most are those leaders who are quietly getting on behind the scenes and especially leading the network as we have through this time. I have watched church leaders, charity leaders, people leading missional communities face unprecedented challenge. And honestly, how some of those leaders are still standing after all that they have navigated it, it baffles and amazes me, but it inspires me because it shows that they are not doing this for any gratification for themselves. They're doing it because they genuinely care. They genuinely want to make a change. They genuinely want to lead their people well. And so those are the leaders really that inspire me because I think that so often you find that leaders have overcome a great deal of challenge or adversity to step into what they're doing and that's the story that people don't often know or hear about and it's it's a costly endeavor there's one other person I should really mention and that is Bev Murrell she's one of my my mentors and she is the person I mean her and her husband Rick they took a punt I was 23 when I was invited to be part of their leadership team of the church that we now pastor and rough around the edges um big time it was such a big risk that they took and I know that there were people in the church at the time who really questioned that decision because we were so young and you know not seasoned in our leadership but if they had not taken that risk and invested in us in the way that they did, there's absolutely no way that we would be doing this now, either of us. And so um, Bev has been a consistent mentor to me. Um, and being a woman leader, she understands a lot of what I have faced in my journey. Um, and she has been a consistent friend and a champion and uh, challenged me good deal of, of healthy challenge as well so she's someone that I've lent into consistently and I will be forever grateful for brilliant I love that spread you know someone you know who's a global iconic leader people that no one's ever heard of and, and a personal leader to you as well a personal mentor to you no that's brilliant final question Nikki um sort of looking back at your life so far you've got a long way to go and your leadership journey so far what's one piece of leadership advice you'd give your younger self 
one piece okay I think wear your own shoes is is what I would have said right Um, that piece of advice um it's so easy to look to the left or to the right and to think that this is the way to do leadership and you've really rightly alluded to the fact that this generation coming through they they don't want a cookie cutter model. There isn't a one size fits all leader. And we've been having so many conversations with leaders that we're inputting and see potential in and they're going, but I can't be you. And we're saying, we don't want you to be us. We want you to do the best version of you. That's why we need you. Um, And that's why the body of Christ needs you. And that's why the world needs you. So I think wear your own shoes. Um, It's definitely something that I needed to hear when I was younger. Um, I struggled at times to have the courage of my own convictions and sometimes to stand alone and, and take that harder, hard journey. Um, so that's the biggest piece of advice I would offer to any upcoming leader or current leader. Wear your own shoes, be yourself, be the best version of yourself that you can be. But you bring something unique to the leadership table. And it's important that your colour in the kingdom and in the world is evident and displayed. Surely, surely that's a book title or well, something like that. <laughs> We've had this a couple of times where someone says something and I'm like, that's a book title. That, that right there is like the message that you can hang so much from. That's absolutely brilliant. Nikki, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'd love to talk to you for so much longer, but so many more questions, but I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast. To be part of the community, join our close Facebook group and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Simply look us up at Wonderful Leaders and we'll see you there.